Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. Welcome again to Profitable Farmer. I hope you're all incredibly well. I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time. Um, And who would have thought, Sam Pincott, that we'd be sitting here doing a podcast? I grew up, um, Sam Pincott and the Pincott family are wonderful friends to our family. And so I grew up as a kid water skiing um, over at Galore with Sam and Bill and Bill and Marg and Ange. And um, we regard the Pincott family as some of our closest friends. And I know my older brother and Sam's elder brother were best mates all through school and uni. Um, so it's really um, pleasing for me to have a chat with Sam in this podcast. Sam and his wife, Prue, and their four amazing girls have an amazing story that I'm really excited to share. And it speaks to a couple of things for me, and we'll get into this, but so many of us in farming businesses do the same thing over and again. Our business models are like they have been, and we don't often pioneer and innovate around the business model that sits with our farm and and that sets us up to succeed. And what I love about what Sam and Prue have achieved is they've moved from conventional farming or a traditional approach to something that is truly unique and pioneering, and it's a wonderful story. Um, So I'm looking forward to sharing that. And just just to you as a listener, um, I love the concept that doing the same thing over and again and expecting a different result is the definition of insanity. And so what we also believe is that it's our business model that sits on top of our farm that sets us free. And we've got to actually do a lot of critical thinking and a lot of soul searching and a lot of strategic work as leaders in our businesses to come up with a business model that can achieve for us what it is that we want in life. And for me, the Holbrook Paddock egg story is just a fantastic example of that. So ladies and gents, it's um yeah, great for me and a lot of fun, Sam, to introduce you to Profitable Farmer. Welcome. Thanks, Hutch. Thank you. Uh, great to be here. It's um yeah, that's a great intro. Thank you. Um, certainly, we go back a long way, don't we? Had a lot of fun over the years. We've um I've sort of feel I've, I've followed in your footsteps a little bit, Hutch, through uh you know, as you say, skiing up and down the river to um boarding school to traipsing over to um England, you know, around Europe. Um. We go back a long way. So yeah, do, thanks, exactly. thanks for having me. It's my pleasure, mate. It's great to have you. Now, um, do you still have a pair of Dunlop volleys for water skiing? No, look, they might be at the bottom of the bidgey by now. Um, <laughs> yeah, geez, I don't think I've quite got that in me anymore, Hutch. But they were uh, good days. For those of you that like water skiing, the pincots just are amazing. They used to have the boat just pitched at the bottom of their garden and would sneak in for a lunch break and have a ski. But used to always strap on the Dunlop volleys just in case there were any, anything floating down the river. Um, but lots of fun memories, Sam. Um, how do you reflect on growing up by the river at Galore, at Riverton? Ah, uh, look, it was, it, yeah, look, it was a great childhood. There's no doubt about it. Um, a lot of fun times, great memories. That, that river's a special place and uh, really nice to see, you know, my brother Bill and his family and his kids getting that same enjoyment out of it that what we did as kids. Um yeah, it was. I had a great childhood. 
uh, Hutch, you know, went away to boarding school for six years. So there's a big chunk of it where you are away, but it was always a special place to come back to. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sam, the Holbrook Paddock story, um, Holbrook Paddock story, sorry, did you ever predict that you would be where you are today? No, absolutely not. Um, and even really, Hutch, even when we started with the Chooks, if you'd, if you'd said to us six months prior, you know, that we we're going to go into a poultry enterprise, we would have laughed you out of town. Um, that was certainly wasn't ever in the, the plan, um, wasn't our um, our desire. Uh, we'd both had, you know, a few chooks in backyards growing up on on our respective farms as, as kids um, and had a few in our own backyard at the time. But, um, no, I guess it, it was really born out of um, necessity and creativity. We were, we were in a bit of a tough position and um, something had to change. We had to look outside the square. So, um, and really I'd, I give a lot of that credit to Prue because she's got a far more creative mind than I do. Um, yeah. So, no, look, it wasn't wasn't in the plan, but it's it's a business that um, has just evolved over now. We've been going for nearly 12 years and it's, um, yeah, it's just evolved to where it is today. You're an amazing team, you and Prue, and, you know, I have sincerely enjoyed watching the journey, Sam, as a friend and, and over that journey as a business coach to you and Prue. And I just think, you know, the approach that you've taken and, and where you've arrived to, you know, it's it's amazing and you can both be, and I'm sure you are very proud of what you've achieved. Yeah, thanks, Hutch. We, and look, we are we are proud and it's one of those um, cases that it is important to stop and reflect sometimes because we get carried away in just our day-to-day running and where we're at. But um, there has been, yeah, over the years, a couple of significant points where we have stopped and looked back and, um, yeah, patted ourselves on the back, which has been nice, nice to be able to do. As you say, Sam, it's not something that we normally or naturally do is, is stop and reflect and look backwards and celebrate the achievements. No, and I remember you saying that, Hutch, when we were um, using you as a coach that, you know, the Americans are very good at celebrating and acknowledging their successes and and we in Australia seem to take that as on as arrogance. Um, but I have, I've never forgotten you, you mentioning it and I think it is really is an important part of life to stop and reflect and, and enjoy what you've done and it's okay to, to celebrate that with people near near you know and around you your support team it's important yeah so Sam before we get into the backstory how would you describe Holbrook Paddock Eggs today can you just give our listeners a sense of what the business achieves and who you supply and the team and yes sort of your current reality yeah sure so Holbrook Paddock Eggs um, is a portable based free-range egg business. Um, we're located obviously Holbrook, southern New South Wales, um, on the Hume Highway, pretty well midway between uh, Melbourne and Sydney. We run a total of 15,000 birds on the farm, uh, which includes our replacements that we, we buy in as day-old chicks. So out of that 15,000, we, we bank on about 10,000 laying for us um, at any one time. Um, we supply 80% of the um, eggs go to Sydney and the other uh, 20% are regionally um, around uh, the southwest slopes, really. Um, Wagga, Albury, uh, Holbrook is for a small town, uh, supports us tremendously well. We're forever grateful for them. Um, and yeah, look, I guess 
our market is that um, we're sort of in a, a niche market with a staple product. Um, our customer base is largely want, them, want to know the story behind what we're producing. Um, and the story, the welfare, the ethics are far more important to them than um, actual price. Price will come into it at some point. But, um, yeah, our customers, are they're wanting to know more of the backstory about the product, um, like they are with a lot of their um, perishables that they're buying. Um, who are your resellers in, in Sydney, for example? Is it is it gourmet supermarkets? Is it butchers? Um, who do you typically supply you know, Canberra, Sydney? Yeah, so um, so we're just in Sydney now. Um, we used to go to Canberra, but we've, we've, we've dropped Canberra off. So our typical customer is there's a lot of uh, small private um, gourmet yeah, uh, delis, fruit and veggie shops, butcher shops, um, restaurants make up a very small part of our um, book. Uh, the chefs want the product, but they just they always struggle to um, pay the price, and that's that's fine. Happy with that. Um, we're in the uh, line of Metro stores, which are Woolworths owned. That's their high end um, line, um, plus the Harris Farm Market stores too in Sydney and Albury. So um, generally, it's the uh, yeah, it's that top end or higher end um, market that we're that we have our most success in. And how real is the provenance piece for you? Like there's a lot of intrigue, I think, and I guess a lot of people in our industry thinking about marketing direct. Um, you mentioned the story and the ethics being important. How real is that from your perspective? Uh, for us, it's 100%. It's, um, you know, uh, we don't have a marketing background at all, uh, Pru and I, um, but we've, t- over the years, especially when we were starting, we, we took on all, all roles of the business and we very quickly worked out our marketing strategy was we had to sell our story first and that story is how we're producing the eggs in the paddock and a portable system. Um, <clears throat> sell that story. We've got, then we sell a dozen eggs. We've got 100% faith in the quality of the eggs. It's going to back up the story that we've sold. And then we get a repeat buy. So it's a very simple, short marketing strategy. But without that story at the forefront, we're just another product on the shelf. So um, it's that's what we have spent and still do, spend a lot of time just selling that story. So for us in our uh, niche market, essentially, it's um, it's very important. Such a great comment, Sam. So from a professional service perspective so as a coach or as an accountant or financial planner i've heard it said that we've got to set people buy us first and then they buy our story and then they buy what we do and it's so interesting to hear that that's true in your experience selling eggs just as equally as it is selling something like accounting or law or but it makes perfect sense and, and Hutch, that story, it's powerful across all demographics too. I mean, I, I say that our market is that um, sort of higher end, um, you know, end of town, which it is for the, for the majority of them. But we still sell into some stores in pretty low socioeconomic suburbs um, that amazes me how many eggs that we sell there in a week. And it's, I think it's, it purely comes back to, you know, 
that customer in that suburb mightn't have a lot of disposable money, but they're choosing very wisely where they're wanting to spend it. And for certain products, they're going to they're, they're going to hold their values very true to themselves. I think people and they they sort of heard it said that the next generation in particular are very conscious about who they transact with, and they're I've heard the frame philanthropic consumers that we're being philanthropic almost in how it is that we're choosing what we buy. So if, if we're going to go and buy a pair of sunglasses, we buy the pair of sunglasses that there is a story behind or a charity behind. Um, it might be, um, you know, fixing eyesight in third world Africa. The next generation are consciously buying the sunglasses that make them feel good yeah. um, for making an impact. And I can only think that the provenance piece links to that, that the people like knowing and value quality, but also want to know that what they're consuming has been ethically and responsibly provided. And um, from a from a farmer's point of view, primary producer's point of view, it's a really exciting space to be in. It, you know, we, we get numerous feedbacks throughout a week, throughout a month. You know, people either picking the phone up and ringing or sending us a comment via through the website, which just amazes me that people actually stop and take the time to give us comments, you know, on all levels of you know, the, of the scale um, about an egg that they've just sat down and eaten. Um, but without that feedback, we can't tweak our, our model. But it's just, it's such valuable feedback that we're getting on our product. It's not like we're just, we're hearing or reading feedback on free range eggs as a, commodity it's direct feedback on Holbrook paddock eggs as a as a product um, and so without that story to tell you know it just makes it so much more valuable I guess that's what I'm trying yeah. to say yeah I appreciate that the quality of what you create is significant it's better than a caged animal or just but, but ultimately it is a commodity how important is that story as your point of difference you've entered a a market, if you like, where there's just an abundance of competition, an abundance of other suppliers of the same product. How significant is the story in setting you apart and allowing you to open up new markets? Uh, it's it it's hugely significant. Without it, we are just another product on the shelf that would just be compared on price alone, probably. Um, a big part of our story that has come through legislation is the stocking density of free-range eggs. There's There's been a lot of debate over this over the last decade, um, and that now has to be put on our carton, um, which is highly valuable. Um, and I don't expect the consumer to visualise or understand exactly what that density means, but they've got the ability to look at a number on a carton, and it could be anything from 10,000 birds a hectare, where 40 birds a hectare. Again, I, it, it's not the... Um, for me, it's not them understanding exactly what that looks like, but if if welfare and production methods and things are part of their decision-making and how they're going to spend their well-earned dollar, mm. well, then they can go down the line of shelves and and see some, some variation in numbers and make their decision. And then, you know, it's up to us to, to sell more of our story to help people make that decision. How do you do that in Harris Farm or... In macro, how, how do you actually get your story across? What's an example of how the storytelling and the provenance actually arrives to the consumer? 
Yeah, so we've um, again no marketing background, so we we paved the um, paved the pavement pretty hard there for a while in the early days. I spent a lot of time getting very thick skin, standing in um, in supermarkets, scrambling eggs into shot glasses on a Saturday morning, and and, and just trying to offer customers to taste what what eggs can taste like. Um, it's a very unsexy product to sell, I can tell you. Um, but I didn't want to I didn't want to manipulate the product. But I just wanted to be able to grab a consumer and end consumers. Literally, I had a 30-second script that I would reel off as fast as I could, just with some really concise points. And, and that's how we got our brand established in the market. So I, I used to go to Sydney a lot doing that. Um, and I dreaded it. I it wasn't my wasn't my happy place. Um, people are walking in to do their quick shopping. They don't want it to be stopped by some goof wearing a cowboy hat trying to sell a dozen eggs to them. Um, but I was lucky people, you know, there was a percentage of the market that stopped and listened and, and then started asking some really valuable questions um, that we then, you know, we upped our ante on the, through a website. Um, we, we sell a little story on the inside carton, on you know, lid of the egg carton now, just, you know, telling them a little bit about what we do, how we do it. Um, we run basic social media pages, that side of things, but it is, it has been about physically getting that story out there and rightly or wrongly, to begin with, we we just stood in people's way and and, and told the story. And if, if there are people listening that are thinking about moving away from just taking their commodity to the auction, to the market, you know, down to the silos, whatever, and actually stepping into a niche and going direct, um, how could you have done this without? building out a skill set in both sales, as you've just spoken about, and marketing? Look, I guess it, it depends the base that you're coming from. We were coming from a very low base. We didn't have, um, we didn't have uh, really too many spare dollars at the time of starting this, um, which is where it was born from, really. So we couldn't afford to go and engage any specialist in this area. So we had to do it ourselves. Um, so I guess if if you're in the position that you, you could engage the right skill set would make a big difference. Um, but I guess it can be done. We've we've done it. Um, How much better are you at marketing now than you were 13 years ago? Oh, I'd like to think I'm a lot better. I, I again, it's it's still a challenging space for me. Um, but we're very fortunate that we've got the brand to a position where we get the inquiries coming to us now. So yeah. I haven't had to stand in that supermarket scrambling eggs for a number of years now, and, and it's a nice place to be at. But um, and I look, I think we were fortunate. Timing was on our side in, in this area, um, and there's that growing population that's very well educated that, that want to know um, answers around that provenance, and we've been able to have a product that fits right into that space. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, look, the skill set certainly has improved over the time. I, I might be a bit more direct on this than that if I could. I think, and we, we talk as business coaches around, it's 50% about what you do and it's 50% around how well you sell it to the marketplace. And most of us are great at what we do, but we suck at marketing. And that's the thing I think that holds us back. Um, and so if there are farmers listening that are thinking about going direct, building out your own marketing skill sets just so important. Um, you can, you know, get a marketer in to do that for you. That's part of it perhaps. But I would encourage those of you listening 
and I've had a chat to a few just in this last few weeks, I would really encourage you to go and invest heavily in building out your marketing ability, um, <clears throat> perhaps so that you can achieve what Sam and Prue have even more quickly. Who knows? Um, Sam, if you hadn't really invested in your own marketing skill at the outset, do you think that would have sped things up a bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I guess, too, a big part of this for us is that I'm sure part of our success has come because the end consumer's seen, seen and heard it directly from us. It hasn't been a shiny marketing team that's just been engaged. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of, I guess, genuineness about the owner-operator standing up there, you know, being at the farmer's market, trying to get a brand out there initially, um, you know, every Saturday morning at six o'clock, like there's a lot of respect that we gain by doing it ourselves. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, there, there's, you know, and you helped us a lot in this space, Arch, on, on getting that skill set and building our, what our scripts needed to be like, you know, I didn't even know that we needed a script to begin with, like, but there's certainly a, a clever and more smarter way of going about it and approaching it than just rocking up with your product and putting it on a table. Yeah, and, and we, we did put a lot of focus on that in the early days. So, Sam, 10,000 eggs a day? Well, um, yeah, not quite. We've got 10,000 layers. We get about seven and a half, eight thousand 8,000 eggs a day out okay. of them. Yep. So how do you physically get those in boxes and away? <laughs> Tell me a bit about the team that you have and that you've built Um and also about what practically happens with those chooks in those mobile sheds on the farm following the cattle around. Can you just give us a sense of the enterprise the enterprise stacking and the team that helps you get it done? Yeah, sure. So so there's 10 of us on the books, um, Holbrook Paddock Eggs, and that that is a range of uh, full-time employees on the farm. There's two full-time on the farm through to uh, some casual staff collecting eggs on the weekend to um, uh, some permanent part-time packers, graders and packers in our um, egg packing facility. Um, so you look at daily routine, hutches, um, two people head out to the paddock uh, in the ute, piled up with in the back under a canopy, there's um, about 50-odd milk crates with five egg trays in it that you, you put 30 eggs in a tray at a time. And our portable sheds, We've got communal nest boxes, so we can just stand at uh, each shed's got two collecting points where we stand and there's a conveyor belt and we can just bring the eggs to us in one spot. So it takes, um, we start at eight o'clock collecting and we're into the packing shed in Holbrook by 11.30. So it's not a, not a huge time commitment, but it's seven days a week, 365 days a year. Um, and from there... They get stored into a cool room in the packing shed and three days a week uh, the permanent part-timers come in and uh, grade and pack those eggs. So, And we'll pack to basically just pack into, um, you know, dozen cartons, half dozens or 30-tray catering packs. A lot of that's done to order. So we know our orders at the beginning of the day. Um, we dispatch generally once a week to everywhere. Um, so Mondays is our big day in the packing shed to um, get orders collated and dispatched for Sydney that afternoon. That'll hit a shelf in Sydney on Wednesday afternoon, Thursday morning. So, um, which is, and that's a big part about our story is, is freshness of the product. So <clears throat> we're wanting them out, <clears throat> excuse me, as, as quickly as we can. 
Yep. And then the sheds get moved in the paddock. We move them uh, minimum once a week. So that's an afternoon job. Uh, it's really just like hooking onto a, a trailer with a tractor and, and moving them forward. We've got 19 uh, sheds out in the paddock age group. We always got five age groups out in the paddock at any time. They're kept separate so that the, the flocks don't mix. Um, and then when a, an age group has done its time and we've got the, the young flock about to come in as a replacement out of our broodshed, then um, we depopulate that group and those birds um, generally end up in the backyard market. So people that just want half a dozen chooks at home. Um, we don't deal direct with many people. I deal direct with any locals that are wanting some chooks at home, but otherwise I've got a, a couple of gentlemen that come and buy them in there. You know, they'll come and pick up 500 one evening and, and distribute them around the, the district, the community, you know, in sixes and tens and... I don't want that hassle, but it's an important it's an important part that we need to get rid of them somewhere. So I'm I'm grateful for those guys. Thanks, Sam. So about 25 minutes ago, Sam, you mentioned that if six months before you started Holbrook Paddock Eggs, if someone had have told you that you were going to be in the egg business, you wouldn't have believed them. If that's the case, how did Holbrook Paddock Eggs come to be? Like, would you mind giving us the backstory that arrived you to having a crack at this and getting started? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess <clears throat> backstory is I grew up um, on a mixed uh, broadacre cropping and basically sheep farm, a few cattle, uh, between Wagga and Narandra. Brew grew up north of Melbourne um, near Yay on a sheep and cattle property. Um, and so we'd both had that, that uh, ag influence growing up and both had an interest that that's where we wanted to be in our career. Prue's a nurse as well and, and is still nursing um, locally at Holbrook, uh, but was also wanting to be heavily involved in an agricultural business with me. Um, so I guess having done you know, various jobs and uh, working different uh, places and managing a cattle place down at Camperdown, we uh, we had the opportunity to lease Prue's family property. Um, her father was unwell at the time, and we had the opportunity to, to go back there, which was um, a fantastic start for us. Mum and Dad had uh, begun their succession plan, so that that enabled um, us to buy some livestock and and make a start for ourselves, which was fantastic. Um, we soon realised, though, that the Yay property was very much Melbourne real estate. You know, it was 40 minutes to the edge of uh, town then, be only closer now. And, you know, Prue's got three other siblings. Um, her father had subsequently died. And we, we knew that we weren't ever going to be in the position to take that property on for ourselves. So we started looking around for another opportunity, I guess and which led us to buying a block uh, just north of Holbrook. And so cattle was our main focus. We, we had a breeding herd. Um, we got into some trading um, and that was where the focus was. And we, we had taken on a, a large amount of debt to buy the Holbrook property and we're running the two in conjunction. So um, we were initially were still living at Yay. Yay was a far more productive um, block, beautiful property, uh, very well set up. And I was commuting up to Holbrook and then we did the flip, uh, I think 
um, our second daughter was born and after that we moved to Holbrook um, and that was 2008 and I was then going back and forth to Yay and it was, you know, it was a big ask but it was working well and it was, you know, we had come through or we were in the midst of the, the uh, millennium drought which hit the Yay property pretty hard and so that had that had um, certainly played a toll. Um, I was finding it mentally pretty hard just having started and was suddenly just in that drought feeding mind space, let alone the fact um, any finance reserves was being chewed up pretty quickly with supplementary feeding in containment lots. Um, but, you know, it was working just. It was okay. Um, and then, unfortunately, in 2009, the Yay property was completely burnt out in the Black Saturday bushfires. We saved both the houses, but the um, the rest of the property um, was burnt. And uh, so our guest, you know, to cut that story short, Hutch, um, once the property was recovered and refenced and everything was sort of back to where it needed to be, um, Prue's family decided to sell that property, which was by far the, the best decision for Prue's mother and, and the family in, in general. Um, a big decision for the family, but... It was that. That was what was made, and um, it was it was fine. But it just meant, from pros and my end, we had taken on this debt commitment to buy the Holbrook property, um, and the Yay property was a contributing factor to servicing that debt. So we were suddenly um, suddenly in a pretty tight spot, um, and I guess that's where you know creativity steps in. Um, we had we had recognised too that we were wanting to try and drop some inputs out and, and grow gr- grass cheaper for cattle, um, and you know the notion that we'd come across through changing our grazing management um, fitted that. It fitted our values and principles. You know we had worked out that we didn't want to be farming anymore in a high input, high um, you know stocking rate um, system. And again, that's. That was just a personal decision, nothing against the system, just that it was what we had identified for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, look, I'm, I still remember we, were, we had heard about the idea of using animals as tools and as layers and um, the concept of running chooks out in the in the open paddocks and, and following cattle or sheep or other animals around and using their manure and scratching and foraging habits as, as a way of improving the soil. And it had struck a chord with both of us when once we'd heard it and we'd talked about it for probably 12 months and especially after the fires had gone through and we were sort of just in property repair mode there, um, yeah, we, we sort of were thinking we've got to do something different here, otherwise we're going to be a casualty within agriculture, we're not going to survive. So um, one evening sitting by the fire, there was in the local paper, there was an, an old caravan advertised and uh, which Prue saw and we rang and discovered it was about 20 minutes through the bush from us, um, an old unregistered caravan. So we we got it, dragged it home, gutted it, put some, pulled the, the double bed out hutch and put some perches and nest box in and um, started with 50 chooks and we could, and it was very much a trial phase. It was just can we grow more grass for the cattle with, you know, without a whopping big fertiliser bill because we didn't have a lot of money to pay for a big fertiliser bill? Um, so, so then, Sam, it was more about more cost-effectively having a cattle enterprise. Absolutely. The, the, yeah. the, the number yeah. one driver, yeah, was the, initially was soil health, growing more grass for the cattle um, without a big fertiliser bill. 
Yeah. yeah. And we, and we so could go on. Sorry. No, I was going to say, look, we could see we started June 2010. And given the time of year that we started, we could see very quickly in a very micro small area of what 50 chooks were doing that um, we were growing, yeah, phenomenal volume of grass. The quality was amazing. You know, that that first year we saw different species return that we hadn't seen in those areas um, in our short time there, but it was different to the other areas of the of the property. So it gave us confidence that, you know, we could grow more grass this way, but 50 chooks weren't, weren't going to do it for us. So we need to scale up if that's what we we're going to do. Um, so, and that, that's where the journey started, really. So from that first caravan, how big a step was that first shed and then the second shed? I sort of seem to remember um, working with you guys as a business coach as you were building out the sheds and making those significant investments at that time. How big were some of those early growth steps, Sam? Oh, they were massive because we didn't have a bank balance to support growth of, of much then. So we we made the decision to you know trade out of some cattle and, and build our first couple of sheds. So I think we went from 50 chooks to 700, which was just seemed like a massive step um, at the time. And I guess we had to rewind just a little bit. With 50 chooks, we had more eggs than what we could handle or give away to neighbours. So that's where we thought we'd have a little bit of fun and come up with a, a brand and a you know a sticker. And we used to sit in front of the fire in the evenings and stick stickers onto blank egg cartons. And you know, that's where Holbrook Paddock Eggs came about. And we wanted to give the community some um, ownership in the product. So hence the name Holbrook. We wanted to try and distinguish ourselves away from general free range because that debate was really getting some traction as to what did um, constitute free range. So we wanted the word paddock in there. And we went to our local butcher, and um, who was a great supporter of local um, anything at the time, and and explained to him what we were doing. And he said, "Yeah, like I'll um, you know, I'll buy them and put them on my counter, and you know, we'll see how they go." Um, and I remember driving home, having dropped our first fifteen dozen eggs, which you put fifteen dozen in a standard box, thinking that like feeling pretty proud to be honest, just thinking, "Wow, like well, there you go, little Holbrook paddock eggs." You know, off we go having no idea where I was going to head at that stage. but And as I was dreaming down the highway in my little uh, single cab Navara, I was overtaken by a B-double of Pace Farm Eggs truck, absolutely loaded to the hilt. You know, there would have been thousands of dozens in there. And I thought, right, I yep, back in your box. Like, <laughs> it's, a long, <laughs> it's a long way to go. But the most encouraging thing from that delivery was out of 15 dozen, I think we received six phone calls that week from locals that we didn't necessarily know, just asking what we were doing because the quality of the egg was something that they hadn't really experienced before and it was something we hadn't picked up on. We we had taken it for granted. Um, and, yeah, we pretty quickly worked out the fact that they were always on green grass or at that stage it was green grass, you know, always being replenished their diet because we were, we were moving them. They weren't on a moonscape um, dirt floor like a lot of even farm chooks end up uh, on. Uh, that that was putting something special into the eggs. So we needed more chooks to fertilise the country to grow more grass for the cattle enterprise, which was core business at that point. Um, but we suddenly realised that we had a product that people were interested in. So it gave us confidence to continue to grow. How is it to reflect on the story or the journey now, Sam, and what is it that, that you're most proud of 
having navigated what is, I mean, we're cutting to the chase really. I mean, there's been so many amazing growth steps, challenges, learnings. What are you and Prue most proud of? Um, for me, it's I'm, I'm proud that we've stuck to our guns. Like we, we did have a lot of knockers sort of in the, in the background. Um, we were doing something very different. Um, you know, we, we weren't, we didn't have the shiny new tractor or, you know, we'd stepped out of our sort of comfort spot with, with cattle that we'd loved. Um, so we, we could see the value in the business and it really excited us. And I think, so I'm probably proud that we've stuck to our passion in one sense. I remember having a, a pretty uncomfortable conversation with um, a, a state um, manager from one of the banks at the time who came out and I was trying to explain what we were wanting to do and he just looked at me across the kitchen table and said, if you want to if you want to put chook shit on your paddock, Sam, just go and buy it out of conventional sheds and grow more grass that way. But what he didn't get at the time was that that's not what we wanted to do. You know, we, we suddenly had a real passion and drive for farming the way that we wanted to and what we've since done, that we've stuck to our guns and we, we've got there. We, we got through the tough time and we've come out the other side. So I think for me, that's what I'm most proud, proud about is that we, we've stuck to what we want to do. How much um, criticism and pushback and even negativity have you had um, to navigate, Sam, over that journey from, you know, even friends and, um, you know, people within your immediate community to, to others. How, how has that been and how have you navigated that? Um, I'd be lying if I said it's been easy. It, it hasn't been. There's, we've had some tremendous support um, and, you know, today I feel we, we get a lot of, we've got great support. But earlier on, it, yeah, it was pretty tough. Um, it was pretty lonely. I um yeah I still have shudders down my spine at being out at a social event in Wagga and you know this bloke that I considered not a close mate but a mate just came up and he literally just laughed in my face and said you got into chooks and before I could answer he walked off and like this was I, I just remember being in absolute I was just in disbelief I thought this is sort of this is back at schoolyard sort of stuff like but it was that you know, there's, there's egos and, you know, I, I will stepping outside the box that, you know, that fella obviously clearly didn't like. Um, and sadly, like, you know, that was the extreme, but we copped a fair bit of sort of flack. Um, and, but, you know, again, I guess we just, we, we, we made it turned into fire in our belly and, and just, you know, we knew that that's what we wanted to do. And, and we learned that that's all that really mattered, but I'd be lying if it didn't hurt at the time, though. It certainly mm. did. So many people have an opinion or are happy to share their opinion of something and that is just their opinion at the end of the day, isn't it? But it's hard to not take that on at times. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I guess as a, a, a mate and a sort of spectator and advocate and even a coach to you guys over that time, Sam, I just want to acknowledge the courage that you guys have always shown um the way in which you've gone about building this business and and leading your team um but probably even more than those two things the persistence and the resilience that you guys have shown to navigate that fire event down in victoria and then this startup project and all of that criticism um you know you've been unconventional and pioneering 
and to see what you guys have achieved through that resilience and that persistence and to see you celebrating that and enjoying it today for what it is i just think it's an absolutely incredible story and you know it's just been wonderful to watch what you and prue and your team and family have achieved over that time i appreciate that hutch thank you and look it's without doubt you part of a pivotal role in our early stages there keeping us on the straight and narrow and, and full of encouragement and um, just some really core principles and guidance that we needed at that time. So, um, yeah, we owe a lot of it to you too. So thank you. Oh, mate, my pleasure. I think you were doing the hard yards, but, um, yeah, it's wonderful to have been a small part of. So thank you for that. Hey, um, I heard you say something the other day that I wanted to pick up on. And if we come back to business, and it's all been business really, but but just the mechanics of business, most farmers when they go to sell their farm, they sell the land. And the enterprise that happens to sit on top of that land has no value in the way in which we value farm land. What I love, and I heard you mention before, one of the things that you're now, as I understand, trying to achieve is to create a business that sits on top of your farm that has value in and of itself, that at some stage might be something that could be sold in addition to the land and you know whether you do or not that doesn't matter but I'd love for you to speak if you could to um, your thought process now around creating a business that has value in and of itself would you mind just touching on that? Yeah absolutely Um, it's something that we recognized pretty early on in when Hobble Paddock Eggs was getting going, getting a bit of traction, I guess, was that it was a completely separate business or different business model to what we'd been farming before and that it is, is, it is exactly that. It's a separate business. It's, it's a business in, that could be relocated. Um, it could be sold with the property. Um, it could be sold on its own. So that became very appealing. You know, we don't, we're not, um, we don't have a huge scale of land um, and Yes, yeah, so the for us there's been huge value in building the business to be a standalone business because I think that is, as you said, in agriculture, that's often missed. That you do, you just sell the farm, you don't sell the business with it. So I feel we have got ourselves into a position that, you know, if and when, you know, um, that I would like to hope that we have got a, a business that can be sold separately. And for us, it's I guess it is about getting some systems and mechanics in place that you know, you can literally pick this business up and, and move it somewhere else. Do you think that's something that other or every farmer could aspire to? Um, I think it's, it's, a, it's an area in agriculture that could definitely be developed, um, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I guess you even look at a lot of succession um, plans, a lot of it is just based on land asset or, you know, assets that's, um, that's there to be distributed. But there's quite often if, if one member of the family is going to continue the business, like there's, there should be value in that business too because that's a, that's a massive um, component of what we do. So I think, I think there's definitely um, there's room in agriculture for this notion to be developed. Yeah, I think it's so accurate, Sam. If you think about a corporate farm, they've got a, a system that gets a result that has value in addition to the land that they happen to operate. Um, and there's often a lease charge between 
whoever it is that land, owns the land and whoever it is that operates the business on that land. I think of it crudely a bit like an accounting firm or a butcher's shop in town, that they have premises and they rent the premises and then there's a business that over their journey in business as an accountant or a physio or a butcher, that their focus is purely on driving value in the business that rents the premises. And yeah. I actually think this is a really important way for us to think about our farms. And I was speaking at a farm a farm group the other day and I asked them if they had to pay themselves a commercial wage, let's say 120 grand to be farm managers and pay a full rent back to the landowners, how profitable would their business be? And I actually think that it would be a great way that we do look at farms, um, that you know, the farm has to do those two things. And then perhaps succession, as you touched on, could be more achievable if we think about creating value in the business that does the farming. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that, you know, with land values doing what they're doing around the country, it might come to the forefront a little bit quicker, maybe. Mm -hmm. And Sam, what's the future look like for you and Prue now? So what aspirations do you have for Holbrook Paddock Eggs? Do you see it continuing to expand? Um, what's what's the vision that you have for the business from here? Um, great question, Hutch. So market-wise, we know we could continue to expand. Um, for us to expand, it's going to require you know, another quantum leap in capital investment, um, which, you know, Certainly the door's not closed on, but we've been very um, happy just with the position that the business is in for the last couple of years, just to, you know, take not take the foot off the pedal at all, but, you know, not just constantly load us, ourselves up with pressure. So um, the business is in a great place right now. Um, the immediate focus is going to be on um, building a, a tourism retail sort of aspect to the egg enterprise. Um, and we're going to do that out of, you know, within Holbrook, out of a new packing facility. Um, that really excites me. It's a, it's a new challenge. Um, it's a new focus. We can we can continue to share our story with what we're doing uh, without having people break by security rules and regulations that we've got to operate on by going out on farm. Um, so that, that, for me, is an expansion in itself. Um, and just it, it's a great mind stimulator for me to be focusing on, on another area. Um, I've done a tourism mentorship program in the last 12 months and, you know, again, it's, I just, yeah, it's good for the mind, do something a little bit different. Um, you know, we've touched on this with you in the past, Hutch, but both Pru and I have always got to, had a desire to have other interests, you know, out of farming. Um, so it's not necessarily about just buying more land. Um, it's about getting involved in other businesses and, and um, yeah, using our learnings, I guess, could be any business, doesn't matter what it is, but um, that's more where we see ourselves wanting to focus on. I don't know what that is. I don't know, you know, how many opportunities that will be, but um, that's where we want to focus on um, probably more so. And, and, have whole, and have Holbrook Paddock Eggs just keep doing what it's doing for us. Yeah, and so I love that, Sam. And a lot of people think that we've just got to keep growing in the business that we're in, but we can scale, can't we, through... Um, a diversification and we can scale outside agriculture just as actively as we can inside agriculture. So yep. it's great to, to hear that from you. So I love the fact, Sam, 
that we had that conversation about oh, three years ago, I think, and you mentioned that, um, you know, if I happened to stumble upon any opportunities that you and Prue were interested. And um, I know our team at Farm Owners Academy has been delighted to invite you into our team to be a business coach to our farming community. And 12 months into that, mate, just loving having you part of our coaching team and seeing you bring all that you bring to your clients within Farm Owners Academy, but the the entrepreneurial business story that you get to share with them, I think inspires them to, you know, really ask better questions and challenge their approach to how they're doing farming. So, mate, it's great having you part of our coaching team. Yeah, well, thanks, Hutch. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And um, I had one of the members actually at the deep dive the other day ask, he just said, why? Like, why are you doing it? Like, what's, you know, I think probably looking at it from you've got your own farming business. And really, for me, it, it comes back to that stimulation. It's something different. It's, I can step out of Holbrook Paddock Eggs for, you know, a couple of hours each week and 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 do some FOA stuff. And I, I'm loving it. It's it's really enjoyable. So, and it's a real How privilege. It it's a real privilege to, you know, <clears throat> look inside other people's businesses and and see what's working and, and where the challenges are and um yeah like it's it's just attracting such a great group of people so you can't help but enjoy being part of it yeah it's a pretty special project but Sam I know the, I'm really pleased to be able to share your backstory um because I think our community's been really keen to hear it um and we'll get so much from it so thank you for that I appreciate it, Hutch. It's been great. So, Sam, I'm willing to wager that we've got quite a few listeners who are interested to move away from either conventional farming or growing just a commodity to looking at doing something that might be of a higher quality and in a niche or even direct marketing and and really sort of calling on their story to be their point of difference. What I think it's wonderful that we've got so many farming families looking at a direct approach or a niche approach, and I think it's it's such good strategy to be exploring that. What would you say to people who are probably where you were 13 or 12 or 11 years ago and just making their first steps in that direction? What would be your reflection and your comment to them just to, to give them a shot in the arm as they go about what they're doing? Um, look, I think foremost, it sounds pretty obvious, but just make sure you know your numbers. Like it, it's it's a nice concept, this, you know, going direct and, and following the product right through. Sadly, there's a lot of skeletons down the road um, through it. So know your numbers and value your time. Like you've got to put a value on your own time. Um because it it's in you know it is intense. It's constant. It's you 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 can't just be there one day and not the next. You know your brand won't survive. So um, yeah, just be so clear on your numbers and making sure that there's a satisfactory margin there. It's not about just discounting to sell a product. It's about making money. So you've got to just yep yeah, know your numbers. Can't say it enough. Yeah, it's a great point, Sam. But with and I think Sam and Pru are an example, I've touched on this, but with courage and with resilience and with persistence, um, yeah, look what can be achieved. I think, as I said at the start, Sam, Holbrook Paddock Eggs is such an inspiring story. Um, and 
yeah, I'm so confident that so many of our listeners will have got so much from this, um, no matter where they are on this journey. So um, to you and Prue, congratulations again, mate, and thank you so much for sharing your story. True, Hatch. Thanks for having me. Have you got a final comment, mate, um, to send us on our way? Oh, look, you got me on the hop there. Um, look, probably it sounds very cliche, but um, just be true to yourself. Just be true to your values. It's We've stepped outside of probably how we, you know, the conventional businesses that we were brought up in and, and we loved and, and admire and still do. Um, but if you're not happy or you want to do something different, you know, be true to yourself and have the courage to do it. Pretty corny way to end, much. What a great comment. Um, thank you, Sam. What an amazing story. So I love the fact that Sam and Prue have just been so pioneering. Um, I've got to see firsthand, as I said, their resilience and their persistence. Um, a whole lot of adversity financially um, in the early stages and, you know, being courageous enough to cut a new path and to take a very unique and compelling and pioneering approach to how they run their farm. I hope that serves as um, inspiration and conviction for those of you wanting to do farming your own way and true to who you are. Um, and I want to encourage you to do that. Um, as Sam said in closing there, just really do things that float your boat, that you're passionate about and that um, can see you make a difference um, in what it is that you're doing in your farms. I guess the closing comment from me on this one also is just what an amazing family team Sam and Prue are. They've got incredible strengths. They complement each other and support each other amazingly well. And together, you know, they've created something that is really significant. Um, and that allows them to have some relative freedom, but is also providing something very unique and very special um, to their market. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, I look forward to any feedback that you have. And um, to those of you looking at going beyond commodity production to niche and direct marketing, I hope that serves as inspiration. Take care, guys. Thank you. And bye for now.